Hi, I'm George. And I'm Alex. And we're the writers here on Uncommon Commons. We're just popping in to let you know that we have an upcoming Halloween special for you. It'll be full of tricks, treats, and original stories written by us. It'll be airing on October 31st. One more thing. In celebration of our 10th episode, we'll be hosting a giveaway on our Twitter account. In order to enter, just tweet about the show using the hashtag UncommonCommonsPodcast. We will select up to 10 winners to receive a special Uncommon Commons acrylic pin. For more information, please see our Twitter account at un underscore commons. Stay and remember, nothing is real. Uncommon Commons is a horror anthology podcast written and recorded by George Plank and Alex Vitale. Content warnings can be found in the episode description. Today's story is Can't See, written by George Plank. apartments. Well, here's the thing. It's just us in the whole apartment building, right? As far as we know, yeah. Wow, that sounded ominous. Anyway, it seemed like a shame that we had all this extra space and we weren't doing anything with it. So again, what are you doing? I was thinking. Uh-oh. We can turn the extra apartments into a B&B. What? Uh, a B&B? Uh, a bed and breakfast? No, I know what a B&B is. Who would even stay here? People from all walks of life. People just looking to get away from their humdrum lives for just a little bit. We're the ones that need to get away. Or have you forgotten about the white void outside? Just you wait and see, Jane. I guarantee that we'll have someone at our door in the next 10 to 20 minutes. That is simultaneously specific and weirdly vague. Oh, speaking of weirdly vague, we got more letters from our mysterious benefactor. Perfect! Just what I needed to take my mind off the stress of being a small business owner. You... Never mind. Susan raced down the long stretch of desert road. She didn't know exactly where she was going to, but she knew for certain that she would not be going back. The backseat of her car had only a single suitcase with maybe a week's worth of clothes and a duffel bag with several thousand dollars in cash. The road ahead was lit only by the light from her high beams. She was dozens of miles away from the nearest street lamp. If she were to look up, the stars would stand out brightly against the inky black void, but her eyes were dead set on the road that stretched impossibly into the horizon. Somewhere in the desert, a group of coyotes were chasing down their prey, but they were rendered entirely invisible by the moonless night. Her determination had carried her this far, but she was fading fast and she knew it. She could feel her eyes getting heavier and heavier. Soon the lines in the road were beginning to blur, and she found herself swerving between the two lanes. If it didn't feel like she was the only person in the world driving, this may have proved to be a major issue, but the only thing that she was in danger of was hitting a roadside cactus. When she heard the sound of sand grinding underneath her tire, she shot up. Fully aware of her dire straits, she continued to barrel forward, eyes glued to the horizon line. The state's inn was a little more than a glowing green light up and to the left when Susan first saw it. But as she continued, more and more details began to come into view. The sign was lit by a border of neon green. The words, The State's Inn, were printed in large black block text. 
Underneath was some neon piping that read, Can't see. The V and the A long since burnt out. Just below that was a changeable sign that said Cable TV and Last Hotel Until Mortita. Under normal circumstances, Susan would probably never stop in a place like this, but while she had no idea how far away Mortita was, or even where she might be, she was fading fast. She pulled into the parking lot. From the outside, the hotel appeared to have been maybe built in the mid-70s. It was all a single building, with rooms back-to-back on one floor. There were traces of pastel coloring on the sign and on the facade of the rooms, but it looks like years of sun and sand exposure had caused all but the faintest hints to fade. She grabbed the duffel bag and made her way to the reception office. Her suspicions about the age of the hotel were immediately confirmed when she entered the office. The lamps were ornate and intricately decorated. The desk and chairs in the waiting area were made of a once-polished hardwood with spirals carved into the base. The walls were papered with pink and white stripes that were poorly layered, so some lines were doubled up and others were horribly stunted. Susan pressed a bell that was sitting on the desk. The bell looked heavy and made to look like polished brass. It looked so out of place, as if it had been borrowed or stolen from a much nicer hotel. A moment after the ringing died down, Susan heard some shuffling from the back, and a man emerged. His hair was disheveled, and he looked as if he had just been woken up from a nap. He was wearing a t-shirt with a logo for a band that Susan had never seen before. He didn't exchange any pleasantries. He just pulled out a clipboard and had Susan fill out some information. She, of course, lied on just about every line. She signed her name as Carol Keller. She had never gone by that name, nor had she ever met anyone by that name. Anything to keep someone from following her trail. When the person asked her for a credit card for security purposes, she pulled out two $100 bills from the duffel bag and slid them across the desk. The man simply shrugged and slid the money under the desk as he grabbed a key for her room. She was grateful that her room was several doors away from the reception office. Maybe she had watched too many movies, but she couldn't help but fear that someone might be watching her. She grabbed her bag from her car and began to head towards her room. From the green light of the neon sign, she could see that she was not quite alone out here. There were three other cars in the parking lot, and despite the late hours, several of the lights in the rooms were still on. The hotel was so old that the room key was not the magnetic card that Susan had become accustomed, but was similar to the keys you might use to get into your home or a safe in your boss's office. The key fob was a dark, mossy green that perhaps one said states in, but had been rubbed off to now only say S-I-N. The interior of the room matched the exterior to a T. The room was non-smoking, but it was difficult to tell if the pale yellow coloring of the walls was by choice or the ravages of time. Susan couldn't care less. She was too tired to examine the large crack running down the center of the front door, especially when she was busy making sure each and every possible lock was bolted. She might have noticed the mold growing in the bathroom if she hadn't been busy storing the duffel bag in the bathtub and closing the door, and the idea of checking the mattress hadn't even occurred to her as she collapsed face-first into the bed. She was awakened after what must have been a few hours from some noises from the next room over. It sounded like a woman and a man. They were both yelling, and it sounded like they were banging into some furniture in their room. Susan had heard just about enough. She slammed her fist on the wall. Hey! Some of us were trying to sleep over here! They must have heard her because shortly after, their room went completely quiet. After pulling back the shower curtain to make sure that the duffel bag was still in the bathroom, she went to turn out the lights. The room was illuminated by the green glow from the neon sign. Susan pulled back the covers and slid into bed. She found it difficult to fall asleep again. 
Responding to the noises next door had made her adrenaline levels go up, and now her mind was racing at a million miles an hour. She hadn't seen anyone else on the trip up here, but what if she had been followed? She knew she should have changed out her license plate. She rubbed her legs together. The texture of hotel sheets always made her itchy. She lay there, on her back, eyes closed, waiting for sleep to take her. She felt something run across her leg. She tried to swipe it away with her other leg, but found that she couldn't. She couldn't move her legs at all. In fact, everything, from her neck down, was restrained by the sheets. She struggled to get the covers off, but it just continued to get tighter and tighter. She could feel the air being squeezed out of her lungs. She opened her mouth as if to scream when a single drop of water hit her between her eyes. She looked up. On the ceiling, reflecting the green glow from outside, was a trail of mold going from the bathroom to just above the bed. The shapeless mass was a dense spot right above her head. Susan couldn't even move her neck to turn away. Another trip hit her in the face, and then another, and then another. And the spot got darker, and the mold got thicker. The shape spread and grew across the ceiling. Soon it was a five-foot-long stain over the bed. A small patch of mold over her head began to droop and sag. It hung down in a point, and then more ridges and valleys began to form. Susan screamed and thrashed about as the mold over her head took the form of a face. Towards the base of the bed, toes sank lower and lower. Soon a full approximation of a human form was lowering itself down from the ceiling. Susan tried to jerk herself away from the bed, and the headboard banged noisily against the wall. The lamp fell off the nightstand and onto the floor. She knew that she had one more attempt at a scream before the blankets cut off her breathing for good. With the mold mere inches from her body, she screamed louder than she ever had before. Her throat felt like it was tearing itself to shreds. A loud pounding came from the next room over. Hey, some of us are trying to sleep. The wet mass lowered itself onto the sheets and spread itself over her body, covering every nook and cranny of her. It disconnected itself from the ceiling and began sinking into the bed, and so did Susan. The next morning, the knob to the hotel room turned slowly. A man wearing a band t-shirt entered and looked around. As usual, a pretty cut-and-dry job. The bed was firmly tucked in, so all he had to do was pick the lamp up off the ground and remove a relatively small suitcase. In the bathroom, he drew back the shower curtain and retrieved the duffel bag. He looked inside and smiled to himself. Well, it looks like we're going to stay open for a little while longer, he said. The mold, which was now a little thicker and a lot more green, said nothing in return. Outside, a flatbed truck picked up two new cars. The man retrieved a moss-green key fob from the table. Almost time for new ones, he said. This one only has I and N on it. See, Jane? What did I tell you? Huh? What is it? No one's out here. I expected nothing, and yet still I am disappointed. Hey, there's an envelope on the step. Hmm, let's see. Dear Occupant... What does it say? That is what it says. The top bit's been smudged, see? Ah, here we go. Cease and desist immediately. Signed, Upper Management. A.G. Aw, I'm sorry, buddy. I know how excited you were to run your, frankly stupid, B&B. Actually, this is a huge relief. 
The stress was really getting to me. I really need a vacation after all this. A vacation, you say? Jane, I don't like that look in your eyes. Why, whatever do you mean? Now, if you'll excuse me. <sighs> what am I going to do with all these toasters? Oh, well. Uncommon Commons is a podcast. It is written and recorded by Alex Vitale and George Plank. Our theme song was written by Charles Adam Robinson, and our logo designed by Sam Vitale Kaufman. Special thanks to our EA, Rebecca Tewksbury. You can find us on Twitter at un underscore commons, on Instagram at uncommon underscore commons, or email us directly at zero nullstreet at gmail.com. Stay. And remember, nothing is real.